Good morning. Welcome to Clarkston Community Church. My name is Tony Schaefer, and I am the next-gen pastor here at CCC. Uh, not everybody knows what a next-gen pastor is. Uh, it's not like robots and lasers like my cousin thought. It's, uh, it's that I work with children and families from birth all the way through college. And so I don't do everything, but I get to oversee all of the different things that we do for families. And partnering with families to influence faith in the next generation is so important with me. Uh, but it means that I, I work at all different corners of our building. Uh, it means that I work all the way down in the refuge, which is way down that hall at the very end. It means that I work in our children's wing, which goes all the way down there. We have nursery and then K through five. It's a long hallway. My office is at the very far end of the hallway. It's actually the last room, and then you go through a room and into another room. And then I also work in the sanctuary. I get to preach sometimes. And so if anybody has a Segway or a scooter, I could really use one because I spend a lot of time all over this church. But, you know, the intersection of faith and family is so important to me. And part of that is, is because of my story, because of my, uh, my birth, my origin, where I come from. And I don't share this story very often because I don't want this story to define me. I don't want people to, to look at me through this lens. But in what we're talking about today, I think that it's germane. And so I wanted to share a little bit about my story. Now, I was born in Detroit, not near Detroit, not around Detroit. I was born in Detroit. Uh, and that says a lot about, you know, where I come from. And the first year, first several years of my life, we spent in a duplex in Detroit. That's, that's where I come from. That was back in the 80s. And that was all that my mom could afford. My, my mother and father were married. Uh, and my mother will tell you that she married the first man that told her that she was pretty. Against her father and mother's direction, she chose to marry my father. Uh, and he was not a Christian man. He wasn't living a Christian life. Uh, you know, he wasn't living, he wasn't making a lot of right choices. That was part of why he had to live in Detroit. And so having me, I came along very shortly after they were married, and having me really changed my mother's life. You know, looking at this little baby in her home made her rethink her home. You know, thinking about the context of taking care of me changed the way that she took care of herself. It changed the decisions that she made, but it did not change my father's life. It didn't change the decisions that he was making. It didn't change uh, his priorities. And so my mom sat him down and said, you have a choice to make. It's either your lifestyle or your family. It's either the drugs or your son. It's either you go to rehab or you don't come home. And he didn't come home. And so for a lot of young men, that would be the defining point of their life. You know, our church is very active in supporting prison ministry. And, and having spoken to the men who, who are active in that, they'll tell you that most of the men, their story starts in that way. And for a lot of men, that, that scar, that wound, that, that change in direction for their life is something that changes the rest of their life. But God had a different plan for me. My, my heavenly father had a plan, and he brought my dad into my life. Uh, Mark Schaefer met my mother when I was about four, and they were married shortly thereafter. And, and I don't remember a day before Mark was my dad. Mark has always been my dad. And, and, and he treated me just like a son. I have two uh, half-brothers, but, but really they're my full brothers. I was there first, and so I remember them. There was never a time when we came together. I remind them of that often, that I was there first. And, you know, I, I never felt like they were anything other than my brothers. I never felt like my dad was anything other than my dad. And just like any kid, I gave my dad a lot of heck. I gave him a lot of trouble. 
Uh, and he treated me and disciplined me just the same as he treated and disciplined my, my two brothers. And you know, as time went on, uh, when I was about 10 years old, my dad fell ill. He was a sergeant in the army and he worked on helicopters. He was a mechanic and he was training to be a pilot. And while he was in his training, uh, he fell ill and he actually passed out. And so they rushed him to the hospital and they came back with a diagnosis of brain cancer. So his military career was over. We moved back from Germany, back to the States, back to Michigan where family was. And that started a, really a period of six years uh, of surgeries and diagnoses. And, and they would give us, you know, he's got six months to live. He's got three months to live. He's got this much to live. It got to the point where we were just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Okay, sure. Yeah, we've heard that before because he survived for so long. And I think a lot of that was the prayers of the Christians that were gathered around us. You know, one thing that my dad always was adamant about was that we were always part of a local church. We always had a community of believers, a community of faith. And so uh, we had support during that time. Eventually, my dad passed away when I was 16. And it wasn't until years and years later, and maybe even now I haven't fully come to comprehend what it was that he did for me. It wasn't until years later that I began to understand what my dad actually meant to my life. You know, it wasn't until I spent time with friends who had step-parents that didn't love them that I began to understand that my dad didn't have to love me. You know, it wasn't until I watched people go through the process of adoption that I understood what that meant for me. It wasn't until I had a son and I began to discipline him that I, that I understood just how much work that is. You know, have you ever done this? I've done this for my son so many times where you get him something, like you're like, okay, I'm going to not buy what I want. I'm going to buy what he wants. I'm really going to just bless him. And you bless him, and then he goes, yeah, but like you forgot to get the other part. Can I just have like a little more? Like that's good, but please can I have some more? And I began to realize I used to do that to my dad all the time, and he just showered me with love and affection, and he didn't have to do that. He didn't have to give me his name. He didn't have to adopt me. He didn't have to love me. He didn't have to do any of those things. And, and there's a word for that. When someone does something that they don't have to do, that word is grace. Grace is the, the prayer that you say right before you eat, right? But it's also unmerited favor. The reason that we call that prayer grace is because it's recognition that, God, I didn't do anything to deserve this, but you've given this to me unmeritedly. Unmerited means you didn't do anything to earn it. You didn't do anything to deserve it. And as time went on, and even you know today, I begin to realize more and more that, that I never did anything to earn or to deserve my father's favor, my dad's favor, but he loved me unconditionally. And, and Jesus was grace in the flesh. You know, we have the four gospels. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to be reading primarily from Luke today. The, the book of Luke, it's written by Dr. Luke, he wrote a very orderly account. All the details of what happened, when, and where, and who are in Luke. Uh, but John walked with Jesus. Uh, John was not a doctor. John was a fisherman. He wasn't very educated. And so John's gospel is a little bit more, uh, what's the word for it? It's a little bit untangible. And John is the gospel where we get the phrase, God is love. John starts his gospel that in the beginning, God created everything. And Jesus was there, and he has this phrase, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came down and lived among us, and in him we have the fullness of grace and truth. We see grace in the flesh in Jesus. But that got Jesus in a lot of trouble when he was here on earth. You see, grace sounds good from the stage, 
but in practice really causes a lot of problems. You see, Jesus had grace, and so he would go and he would talk to the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the religious leaders at the time. They were ultra-conservative. They followed all the rules, and they were really hypocritical. I mean, they, they used their power and their influence for their own gain. And so, I mean, they were really some crooked guys. I mean, they really manipulated the scriptures so that they could maintain power. But Jesus loved them anyways, and he went and spent time with them. He actually would go and eat with them. But Jesus would also spend time and eat with sinners, with people that didn't follow the religious laws, with prostitutes and adulterers, with drunkards, and even with tax collectors. And we like to make a lot of jokes about tax collectors, right? Like nobody likes to pay their taxes. But it's hard for us to wrap our minds around what exactly a tax collector was. You know, at this time, the Romans were in control of Judea. So there was an occupying force. You know, since we cast off British rule, we have never been occupied. We can't wrap our minds around what it would be like to be occupied, to have another force that was ruling over us. But then to have one of our own, one of our own people choose to go and work for the enemy and take money from us and give it to them. I mean, that's unfathomable. I mean, what do we do with traitors? We remember Benedict Arnold's name all the way to here because traitors are the worst. These tax collectors were traitors. And so Jesus was spending time with the Pharisees and they began to grumble. And they said, why is Jesus spending time with these sinners and these tax collectors, these traitors, these worst of the worst? And Jesus has this way about him. Actually, right before this chapter, we're going to be in chapter 15 of Luke, if you want to look there. But right before this chapter, Jesus went to a party where people were kind of being snobby. And instead of saying, hey, you're being really rude, instead of that, he said, when you throw a party, remember, Jesus is at the party. And he's saying, when you throw a party, don't just invite people who are wealthy and can repay you, but invite the poor. And by the way, I don't see any of them here. Jesus had that way about him where he would just begin talking about the thing in the room without addressing it. And so when the Pharisees grumbled, about Jesus eating with tax collectors and eating with sinners, he said, there was a shepherd who lost a sheep. He had a hundred sheep, he lost one, and he left the 99 to go and find the one that wandered off. I mean, that's not a good sheep. That sheep wandered off, he probably should have just let it go. But he went, he found that one, and then he rejoiced when he found it. And then he, Jesus told this story about a woman who had 10 coins and she lost one. And instead of just keeping the nine and saying she's fine, she went and found the one, and instead of being embarrassed about it or mad about the coin, she called her friends together and she rejoiced. He's telling these stories about lost becoming found, and then he tells this story in Luke 15 about two sons. Uh, before I read the scripture, would you pray with me? Father God, as we look at your word today, God, help us to understand. Jesus, as we read the words that you said among us, God, I pray that you would speak to us again. And Holy Spirit, help us to understand. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Luke 15, starting in verse 11, and he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. There's a man who had two sons. My father had three sons. Uh, but I can tell you, this is a younger son kind of thing to do. You know, younger kids, they're generally spoiled. You know, they get all the hand-me-downs, plus they get some new stuff. And like older sons, usually parents are strict, but then they kind of relax, or maybe they're just worn out by the time they get to the younger son. It's a very younger son thing to do to go and ask for his inheritance. Uh, but the people at Jesus' time would have gasped, because they would have understood the implications of what this son was saying. The father would have worked his whole life. As a matter of fact, for generations, 
that his father and his father before him would have worked their whole lives to accumulate wealth for the benefit of the family. And the family would have worked together to perpetuate that. They would have continued to do that. And so by saying, let me have what's coming to me, let me have my inheritance, what he's saying is, I want to cripple the family and the family business. I want to take a third of all of our assets and I want to leave. I want to take them out. I don't want to work together with you anymore. Uh, and as a matter of fact, what he's saying here is, Father, I understand that when you die, I am to receive a third of the inheritance. And as a matter of fact, I wish that you would just hurry up and do it. But I guess mom keeps feeding you vegetables and you're probably going to live a little while. And so instead of that, how about you just be dead to me and I never spend any more time with you. I want out. I want full rejection. I don't want anything. And if you notice the way that he says it, it, depending on your translation, it might say my inheritance or my portion. I like how it says it in the English standard version. He says, I want the share of the property that's coming to me. This younger son is saying, you owe me this. Now think about this. The father could have said no. He didn't have to do this. This was highly irregular. He could have said no. And as a matter of fact, if I'm dead to you, maybe you're dead to me, get out of here. Uh, he could have said, he had two sons. He could have said, hey, older son, you're probably stronger and probably smarter. Can you deal with him? Can you take him out back somewhere? He didn't say that. He divided his property between them. His son had just slapped him in the face, said that he wished that he was dead, but his father still provided for him. And so if you know this story, you know that the younger son takes his portion and not many days thereafter, he leaves, he goes away to a foreign land where they don't worship God and he squanders his money quickly. And there's not very many verses before he's completely broke and a famine falls on the land. The economy collapses. There's no more jobs. And he finds himself in a position of slavery, in a position of servitude. He's serving a farmer and he's serving a pig farmer. That's how we know that these are godless people, because at this time, uh, God was the God of the Jews, and the Jewish people didn't eat pigs. So he had left his nation, he had left his family, he had left his God, and he found himself feeding these pigs. And Jesus said that he looked at the food that was going to the pigs, and he wished that he could eat it. But he was not allowed to eat it, because his master valued the pigs more than he valued him. The master said, this food is for the pigs because I want them to be well, and I don't care if you starve to death or not, because you're that low. And this light bulb went on in his head. The son remembered his father. He said, you know what? My father is a master. My father has servants. My father is kinder to his servants than this man. Maybe, maybe if I go back to my father and beg him to forgive me, maybe I can just be his servant. And he says it this way. There's an interesting way. That he says it, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Remember, we started off with, he said, Give me what's owed to me. I think that I deserve this. He realized something. Wait a minute. I'm not worthy. Based on my actions, I'm not, I'm not worthy. Maybe I, I never was worthy. My, my, my father has given me so much grace already. My father's already given me more than I deserve. Maybe I can go back. My father is a gracious man. I recognize this. He's been so gracious to me. Maybe he'll give me just a little more grace. Maybe he'll just forgive me. Maybe he'll just take me in his home. I recognize now that what I've done is so awful and deserves so much punishment, but maybe if I beg my father, he'll give me just a little bit of grace. And so he leaves, he escapes, he heads home. And Jesus says the father sees him a long way off. 
The whole time that he was gone, his father was waiting and looking and wanting his son to come home. And his father runs and greets him before he can speak. His father embraces him. And after his father embraces him, he starts his spiel. He says in verse 19, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. But the father doesn't even speak to his son. The father turns to his servant and he says, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Call all my friends together. Kill the fatted calf because we need to celebrate. Because my son was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. We sang Amazing Grace before. Did you know this is where that phrase comes from? I once was lost, but now I'm found. The writer of that song knew this and was writing about this instance when Jesus said, the father didn't even want to hear his lament. The father didn't even want to hear the son's apology. The father had been waiting. The father had forgiven this son. He had already forgiven his son long before he ever turned back. The father was waiting and watching, longing for his son to come home. And he didn't have a stern word of discipline. Son, you know, I'm glad that you ate some pig slop. I'm glad you finally, maybe this will finally get some sense in your mind. Maybe you'll change your ways. You know, the father wasn't mad at him. He didn't have an angry word. The father didn't grab him and say, hey, I want to bring you over here and have you talk to your mother. You think I've been upset. Your mom has been crying and weeping inside all the time that I've been sitting on the roof. He didn't have a mean word to say. He didn't even want to hear his son's excuse. He just wanted to restore him back to the love that he had for him. He brought him back. He said, bring a robe, bring a ring, put these shoes on his feet. I want everyone to know that this is my son and I love him. And as a matter of fact, bring everybody together because we need to celebrate grace is amazing. And grace deserves celebration. That's why we come together. That's why we sing. That's why we lift up God's name because we've experienced that grace. Every one of us who is a believer at one time or another has been that prodigal son. You know, we were all born into God's world. We were all born, made in God's image. We are sons and daughters of God. And every one of us at one time or another has said, you know what, God, I want the things that you've created more than I want you. I want these blessings, I want this life that, that you made and that you created, but I don't want anything to do with you or your ways. Every one of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Every one of us has turned away from God. And if you're a believer, you understand that grace, that forgiveness, that love that God has for you, and that's why we celebrate. But remember, there were two sons. I picked on the younger sons earlier only because I knew what I was going to say about older sons, because we have some problems. We have some issues. In verse 25, now, his older son was in the field, like older sons often are, working hard, doing what they're supposed to. Uh, and as he came home, remember, he doesn't go and party. He comes home when he's done working. As he came home, he drew near to the house. He heard music and dancing. How do you hear dancing? That has got to be a serious party. That has really got to be, I mean, he's hearing the stomps. He's hearing whatever's going on. This is a raucous party. This just references. It wasn't a little deal. It was a big deal. I'm so glad that the first brother came back. And so the older son was angry about this. And he wouldn't go in. He didn't want anything to do with it. And so the father came out and the father begged the son, please come in, celebrate with us. And the son says to the father, look. Anytime you say look to your dad, that's pretty brave. It's pretty brave. The King James says, behold. So he tells his dad, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. 
Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. He's saying to his dad, look at everything that I've done for you. Look at me and see what I've done. And don't I deserve what this son is getting? Haven't I earned your favor? Haven't I earned your love? Look at everything that I've done. Like, you haven't even given me a goat. Haven't I earned this? But you haven't even given me something that's less than that. I think this son didn't understand the grace that a father gives. You see, every father in this room, at one point or another, had a conversation where a woman came to you and said, guess what? You're going to be a dad. And every father in this room had the option to say, no, I'm not either. Every father in this room had a chance to hit the bricks and take off. And honestly, many fathers have. I I have one of those. I know that story is true for me, and I know that it's true for many in the world. This son didn't recognize that actually his father and his father's father and his father's father before him had been working to provide for him, the older son. They had all been working to provide for him before he was ever born. I got to believe that this older son hadn't had kids yet. Because when you have kids, you recognize that it's a long, long time before they do anything interesting or of value. And they ask a lot from you for a long time. I mean, I'm just going to share. My wife is wearing a beautiful scarf this morning to cover the bananas that my daughter threw at her this morning. (laughs) And we chose to keep her. We're keeping her. We like her. We're going to keep her around, both my wife and my daughter. We're keeping the daughter. (laughs) But the son didn't realize his father had done so much for him, so much that honestly he could never repay his father for what he had done for him. His father had done things in his history before he was ever born that he's never going to know about. His father had loved him before he was ever born. His father loved his mother before he was ever born. And yet he's there trying to earn his dad's favor. He's there worried about goats and calves. He's worried about these day-to-day blessings. Look at what his father says back to him. His father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. His father said to him, Son, you're over here worried about goats and calves, and you have me. I'm always with you, and you are my son. You bear my name, and everything that I have belongs to you. Why are you trying to earn this thing that I've already given you before you could ever earn it? And he's looking at him and saying, son, don't you realize that that nothing that you could ever do in your lifetime could, could match up to what our generations before us have done for you? Don't you recognize that nothing that you ever do could help me or make me love you anymore? To the first son... The father says, there's nothing that you can ever do to make me love you less. You can take the money and run. You can squander it away. You can hurt the family. You can sin again and again. I got to believe that this was not the first day that the younger son decided to be selfish. I got to believe he lived a lifestyle of that up until that point, and the father loved him anyways. There's nothing that you and I can ever do that will make God stop loving us or that will make him love us any less. But to the older son, he says, there's nothing that you can do that will ever make God love you anymore. 
He loves you completely. You know, there's an old phrase. When Jesus was asked, how much do you love me? He stretched out his arms and he said this much. Before we were ever born, Jesus died for us. He gave everything for us. Paul writes in his letter to the Galatians, he says, you foolish Galatians, having started out with faith, are you now trying to earn your salvation? Why would you try to earn something that you've already been given? Why would you try to go back to slavery? Why would you yell at God, God, don't you see everything that I've done for you? God, look, I never disobey you. God, look at all the good I do. God, why don't you bless me like you bless that person? It's the same sin. It's putting the things of God before the person of God. God loves us unconditionally. And so if you're in this room and you're a first son, if you have wandered far from God and you feel like God can never love you, I want you to know that God loves you. Jesus came to the earth to tell us that and to live that out on the cross. And whatever you've done, God is not surprised by it. And Jesus is not repulsed by it. And he was waiting for you to come home. And if you're an older son, and maybe you have been saved for a long time, but you're still trying to earn God's favor. Maybe if I just do a few more things, maybe if I just try a little harder, God will bless me. I want you to know that God loves you more than you can ever understand. And everything that he has is yours. It's so easy to fall into this trap where we think, well, if I just do these three or four things for God, if I just do a little bit more for God, God will give me the things that I want. But really, we're just chasing after the things that I want. God, I want that promotion, and so I'm going to give a little bit of extra at church, so maybe you'll give me that promotion. Or God, I want you to fix my family, and so maybe if I just go to church more often, God will fix my family. Maybe if I like give to the poor, maybe if I go away, God will change the way that I feel. If I do these things for God, God will do something for me. But Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to eat or drink or what you're going to wear, but seek the kingdom of God. Seek the face of God. Seek a relationship with God, and as a matter of fact, all the things that you need in this world to be taken care of. We've been in this series where we're talking about wonder, living a life that's marked by wonder, amazement at the things that God has done, amazement at creation, looking around and saying, oh my gosh, you know, down to the tiniest molecule and then up to galaxies billions of light years away, God is in control of all of these different things and we can barely even comprehend the amazingness of God's creation. We've been talking about the amazingness of God's miracles, that he chooses even now to reach down into our world and change things, to heal the brokenhearted, uh, to heal broken bodies, that he reaches down into our lives and heals broken relationships, that God just does these amazing things that he provides for people consistently. We're talking about this wonder and amazement at, at while we wait for God, even as we wait expectantly in faith. But I think that all of these things come down to this idea of God's amazing grace. I think the reason that we come together and sing is to celebrate that amazing grace. I think the reason that, that we lift up God's name and the reason that we live lives that honor him are not to try to earn his grace, but out of celebration of his grace. Can you imagine that? A life where every day you get up and say, what can I do today to celebrate God's grace in my life? God has done something amazing in my life, and I just want to do something to celebrate it. Just living this life full of joy. And I'm not worried about whether or not I get a goat or a calf. I'm just worried about celebrating what God has done because I was once lost and now I'm found. God loves me. I was once dead, but now I'm alive in him. And so Becca is going to come and lead us in, in a time of response. 
I believe that God's grace is worthy of a response. We haven't said amen yet, but I hope I can get an amen to that. God's grace is worth a response. It's worth a reaction. And so for if you're someone here today and you've never responded to God's grace, you never realized that Jesus loves you and wants you to come back to him, today's the day. Come back home. He's waiting for you. He's waiting to call you son or daughter. He's waiting to embrace you. Jesus loves you more than you could ever know. If you're somebody here today who you've experienced that grace, but gosh, it's really hard to give that grace to other people. Maybe you need to come forward today and pray for that other brother. Maybe you need to come and pray for that person who's making the same mistakes over and over and over again. Pray that they'll receive the same grace from God. Maybe pray that they could receive some grace from you. Maybe today you have received God's grace, but you're still trying to work it out. You're still trying to earn it. You're still trying to prove. You're still trying to show God something where you can say, look at what I've done. Maybe today you can just praise him. Just lift up his name for what he's done for you. But whatever it is that God is calling you to do today, to respond to his grace, you have permission to do that. Would you pray with me? Father God, you are so good to us. God, before we ever knew you, you gave us everything. God, I pray today that you would draw our hearts near to you, that you would wrap your arms around us like a loving father and call us son or daughter. And I pray today that our worship, that our prayer, that our praise would be pleasing to you because we love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.